This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Hitachi TRQ-225 cassette recorder and player. For when you absolutely, positively need your music to play and not stop suddenly at the most inopportune time possible, trust the Hitachi TRQ-225. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Kelsey's birthday week on Pod Cemetery, so we're doing a slasher week, Yay. a campsite slasher week on Pod Cemetery. Yes. With 1981's Madman and 2021's Fear Street Part 2, 1978. We're back at her in the Fear Street trilogy. Yes. It's also our 200th episode, Kelsey! <laughs> Holy jeez! We've done this 200 times as of this episode. We've been doing it a long time. Yeah. Almost four years now. Wow. It will be in October. Wow. Do you remember when we recorded our first three episodes and just released them all at the same time? Kind of. Do you ever feel the need to go back to that first batch of episodes to see how absolutely terrible they are? Oh, I I know they're bad. I mean, I think we're bad now. Right. But thank you guys very, very much. The only reason we... Well, that's not entirely true. We do this because this is fun for us, but it is still like a responsibility a thing that, uh, you know, takes precedent over other things that we could be doing. <laughs> uh, but because there are people out there that are actually listening and engaging with us. So thank you guys very, very much. It's very motivating to continue recording episodes to know that you're out there listening. Every email that we get that we don't respond to, we really do appreciate it and we apologize that it takes us so long to get Yeah, email is like one of the worst ways you can get it. The best way you can get a hold of us is via Twitter. Uh, so if you aren't already following us on Twitter, at Pod Cemetery, as a 200th episode gift to us, how about you follow us on Twitter? That would be really great. And uh, give us a shout out. We'll say hey. For our 200th episode... Give us a five-star written review. That'd be yeah, great. That would be great. Uh, so thank you guys very, very much. Moving right into our first movie is Madman from 1982, written and directed by Joe Giannone, I guess. <laughs> Story by Gary Sales, who was also an executive producer on the movie and wrote all of the music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And what music it is. Yes. Starring Galen Ross, Tony Nunziata, and Harriet Bass. Galen Ross, we know as Francine from Dawn of the Dead and Becky Vickers in Creepshow from the Something to Tide You Over segment. She's the woman who is buried in up to her neck. Oh, okay. After this movie, we will have seen literally every movie Galen Ross has been in. 
These are the only three uh, acting credits she has to her name. And we've seen all of them. Yeah, at this point we have, yeah. What is it about, Kelsey? A madman with an axe killing camp counselors. Yeah. Allegedly it was supposed to be a Cropsy retelling with the gardening shears, but apparently the burning was already being made at the time. And so they abandoned that idea and went with something wholly original. You can watch the movie if you have a subscription to Hoopla or you can rent it for $1 to $4. It is only $1 at something called Pantaflix. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> if you're not willing to try it out, it is only $2 on Google Play and YouTube. Mm. You can buy it for as low as $3 on Google and YouTube, mm. but it's $10 on Apple, Vudu, and Alamo On Demand. Should people watch Madman? Look, I'm shocked I had never heard of or seen this. Yes. That's shocking to me. And we've seen some really obscure stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, we mentioned Home Sweet Home. <laughs> But I... Ghost this... Keeper. <laughs> <laughs> you liked that movie. Uh-huh. It was weird. But I don't think this is one that... I don't think this is required viewing. No. It's not vital. No. No. Not by any means. But for a dollar or two, if you have a bunch of people over and you're going to watch a, put just put a scary movie on in the background. Yeah, putting something on in the background that you can make fun of like yeah. For $2? Sure. Sure. It's fun. I was really enjoying myself and it, it I think the movie thinks a little bit higher of itself than its actual station. Yeah, I don't know why, but it has a very high opinion of itself. Right. For instance, and you and I both commented on this, it it is completely incapable of building tension whatsoever Mm -hmm. but there are moments when it's like we're just gonna stop the movie cold in its tracks to have a moment that seems like it's supposed to be building tension yes like we said but it fails fails entirely so it's just like a little bit of a break time right when the movie's supposed to be getting exciting yes it's just a fun dumb absent-minded watch so if that's what you're looking for then sure but it's by no means vital no you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1981's Madman. Many strange things happen around here. There is a tale. It was a night like tonight, many years ago. There is a legend. If you say his name, Above a whisper, he'll get you. There is a warning. On certain nights, when the moon is full, he's out there stalking in the woods. There is a madman. His name is Ma. Mad Man Mars Mars Mad Man Mars Here we are, come and get us, Mad Man Don't you realize you're fooling with things beyond your control? 
an escape. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Madman begin? With a title card and some music. Oh, yeah, the opening credit song I wrote down is kind of dope. <laughs> it's just one electric keyboard yes. apparently being played by Gary Sales, producer and story credit. Well, great. Yeah. He wrote, like I said, all the music in the movie. Just like Carpenter, right? Yeah. Even the songs that were sung by one of the main characters, TP. He gets two songs in this movie. One song, acapella, an actual song, and then a reprise of the first song. I think. Yeah. And what do we read at the end of these opening credits. This is taking place at the North Sea Cottages, a special retreat for gifted children, which I gotta say, these don't feel like gifted children to me. So, to be clear, there are children in this movie. They have a very limited role, but there are like five kids. One has a vital role. Sort of. He has to drive, right? No, I'm talking about Richie. No, he's not a kid. He's a counselor. Richie is a kid. What makes you think he's a kid? Because they try to hide from the counselor that he's not back yet. He has to go out and save him. Who are the they? The kids. I don't see Richie anywhere. He must have stayed back at the campfire. What are we going to do? Make up his bed like he's sleeping. Got to give him more time to get back. Richie knows what he's doing. What kids? TP is in charge of three boys. He needs to get them back to the cabin. Richie, the dickhead one who called out Madman's name, was stayed behind. He has to go out and save him because he's one of the kids he's responsible for. That's why when she says, why don't you get the other counselors to help you? He says, he's my responsibility. I'm the one who lost him. Interesting. The movie does a shit job of explaining this, especially since the kids that they get are all like 12 year olds and Richie looks just as old as everyone else that's here, except maybe for TP. He looks just as old as Betsy. He looks just as old as Ellie. He's obviously in his 20s. Don't know what to tell you. I was paying attention. (laughs) Yeah. So we're. There is not a very clear dividing line between here, and we don't get a lot of experiences. I guess that one throwaway line is all that we get that tells us that Richie isn't one of the counselors, because everyone at this fire is, like, older, except for one little kid who gets scared by the story. So, TP is in charge of three boys. Mm-hmm. The blonde chick from Dawn of the Dead. Must be three girls. Well, Because there are six kids total if you include Richie. She says, I've got five kids I've got to watch. So she must only have two girls that she's got. Oh, no. That's when she Richie's must already have gone. Three. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, she has three girls. He has three boys. Yeah. So, and there are... So you might be asking yourself, why is there an entire camp for six children? I cannot answer the question. It's very unclear what the logistics of this camp are. There are five counselors, by your logic. There are five people left over, which, by the way, I, I, I'm assuming you're right. Five counselors, plus Max, the guy who runs the place. For six kids. Plus the cook. There are more people that work there than camp there. Yeah, I wrote that down, too. I was like, why are there more counselors than there are kids? And more baffling... Mm -hmm. You're probably thinking, this is a summer camp. Nope. 
It is not. This takes place right before Thanksgiving. In the middle of November? I'm so confused. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Unless this is like a camp that gifted kids go for Instead like of an school? En- for like an entire semester? Maybe. I, maybe that's why their parents are coming for the Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Maybe that's why. And then they get an extended break because they're super gifted and intelligent. So they don't, don't need to be in school that much. I don't know. So I guess everyone's here around the campfire then. I guess that would make more sense. All of them are here. All like dozen of them or so. And TP is singing a song, <laughs> which sounds like it's about Mars. Long, long ago. The fifth wind blew, stole the man's mind, left him blood man. He hid amongst the trees, appeared with the breeze to kill them and to drag off their bodies a chill in the air the scent of death crawling full moon the witness as one by one they trespassed his ground and chose to take chances Dragged into the black furrows in the ground. Dragged into the night, their bodies never found. On the night of the fifth wind, nothing could save them. There was no protection from the darkness and the doom. The wind held his mind, and a man turned to murder. Black gusts in the night, damp with their blood. Death's breath in the night, dripping their blood. Dripping their blood. Dripping their blood! But Max hasn't told that story yet. Yes. Why did he just say, I've got a different story to tell you when he tells the exact same story? Uh Uh-huh. Except it's more details about how he got the way he did. Yeah. While TP is singing, I'll just say real quick, we get little glimpses into the future of each (laughs) of the people... That he, like, approaches during his song, which is really unique. It was weird. I was like, are we seeing their deaths right now? Not necessarily, but kind of. We're seeing a shot from them from later on in the movie. (laughs) One of them, we just see legs getting dragged away. So it's like, I guess they're dead. Uh, I know. It felt like in the video game where you find the totems. And you oh, see visions of yeah, the future. and Until Dawn, and it's totally unhelpful. Yes. Yes, uh-huh. I feel like Until Dawn, the people who created it like this movie. You know, maybe. <laughs> maybe, I wonder. <laughs> Stacy, the flute player, uh, I guess maybe she's the one who we see the legs getting dragged away. 
because she never it's always shots of them going like oh my god or something like that right or them being terrorized she never really is she's caught unawares and then her head gets lopped off so anyway tell us what max tells us well first of all he explains that they shouldn't be this close to the house which i'm just like well then why are you here they are so close that later on when Richie throws a rock, he's going to shatter a window in the house. Yes. That's how close they are. A gifted child uh-huh. throwing a rock through a window. Yep. Okay. He was an evil farmer who beat his wife and children. He was an alcoholic who started fights, didn't feel a thing one time when his nose was bitten off, and then one night went stark raving mad and chopped his sleeping wife into pieces and then did the same to his son and then his daughter, and then went to a bar to have a drink. And that going to a bar and having a drink and acting like nothing happened felt a lot like it. But you wouldn't uh, know that if you hadn't read the book. Because mm-hmm. it's not in the movies. You know what, Kelsey? You're a better person for having read the book. <laughs> <laughs> good book i like it Mm -hmm. but so they go to hang him up and leave him for dead they end up getting a big okay so he makes this big deal out of this gash on his face but let me tell you the gash is not that big of a deal this guy looks like chris pointed out like a bigfoot yeah so he doesn't look like a human this movie could have been just about campers being terrorized by bigfoot yeah. He just kind of lumbers around and goes. Oh my god, the sounds! <laughs> the first time I heard it, I wrote down that sound is gonna piss me off, uh-huh. and it did every single time. He walks around with big fake feet and big fake hands and a big fake face. Yeah, it's ridiculous looking. He has the silhouette of just he's really like he's built like a brick shit house. His silhouette is the only cool thing about him, and it could have easily have just been a yeti or bigfoot mm-hmm. you know but they made it a man for some reason the sh- the scar does come back at the end when one of the victims gets it in their face but he it seems almost randomly hand. yeah it was on accident he yeah just, he just like like a bear just uh-huh. gashed yeah. at a person like a bigfoot <laughs> yeah Exactly. It should have just been a Bigfoot. That would have been a way more interesting story. Bigfoot collecting corpses. But so, when they came back the next day, the guy is gone, and the bodies of his family are gone. To be clear, they hanged him that night when they cut him, and he was left for dead. And then when they came back, he was gone. Yes. And he claims that he's still alive and stalking people in the moonlight to Mm. chop off their heads and hang people. If you say his name above a whisper, he will come and go after everyone in your party, including people that are not even there when it happens. Yep. And this dickhead Richie yells out his name (laughs) and breaks the window in (laughs) the house. And Richie will continue to piss you off for the rest of the film. Fucking Richie. So I wrote down, if Madman Mars responds to being called then this dude, Max, is totally responsible for all of this. If he just never told the story, they wouldn't have known the name, and he never would have been called. Also, subsequently, though, it is also totally Richie's fault for being a prick about it. 
Well, apparently Richie's the first one who's ever done this. I guess. Because it seems like this is a tradition (laughs) that he does every year. Right? He does say when, because I wrote down also, dude, maybe don't tell the murder story of the kids getting chopped up by their dad in front of the little girl that's right here. Which severely upsets the chick from Dawn of the Dead. So much so that she will lie and say that the youngest child was crying. She definitely wasn't. She did say she was scared, though. Oh, she did. And this is how she said it. Betsy, this is a madman, Mars. It's nothing, honey. It's just a figment of Max's imagination. Something he made up to scare you, that's all. Oh, he sure did that all right. I was so scared, I couldn't open my eyes. And it's all right. Nobody's going to come and get me and chop off my head. Oh, my God. Oh, this acting. I, I just, like... I'm... They don't even really come back to that. The fact that the little girl is already scared of Madman Mars. Like, what if she saw him in the window and started freaking out? And, like, you know, that could have added an extra little wrinkle to the story. But they never even come back to this little girl. She's just part of the bigger group later on when they need to escape. Yep. But she says that she's in tears, and she is not. Yeah. And so Max says, okay, fine. I won't let the little kids sit there next year. Yes. So obviously this is something that he does every year. Yeah. And it's never happened before because no kid has ever been a dick. Because again, this is supposed to be for gifted children. But considering they only have six kids, I think maybe their numbers are dwindling and they had to take less gifted children this year. I guess because Richie is a doofus. Yes. Where am I? (laughs) So they all get up to go and they have their responsibilities. They're all getting in a line and they're all going uh, to leave. Before they go, uh-huh. TP is going to oh, make yeah. a jackass out of himself. So the guy who's singing, his name is TP. We don't know why, you, you but he has a big him... TP on his belt buckle. You could have named him anything. Uh-huh. Did he need to be toilet paper? Did it need to be? Did it need to be? I don't believe that anybody that knows anything about camping wouldn't call toilet paper TP at some time in their lives. (laughs) So TP, like, gets really aggressive with our main character, Betsy, uh, and is like, come back to the cabin, we're gonna fuck. (laughs) And she gets upset. (laughs) Because she's upset that he scared the kids. She's like, you're a dick. Yeah. And he's like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah, I'm not going to meet you tonight. And he's and he makes a big deal about it, like uh-huh. a jackass. And I think it might be Ellie who says, Ellie, the like the really meek one, who says something to the effect of, dude, if you love her, <laughs> let her free. And if she doesn't come back, then, you know, that whole thing. If you really love her, let her go. Uh-huh. That might, it's either Ellie or Stacy, the, the two women. And tell us what Richie fucking does. So Richie stays behind as they're walking away because he looks up into the tree line and sees like the outline of Madman Mars up in the trees just hanging out. Doesn't tell anybody. No, he just looks and he stares. Doesn't he like smile? I feel like no, he smiles. No, he's just like staring. He's like, what is that? Can I see? And then he, so he walks towards it. And then it disappears. After not being just suddenly. Told explicitly not yeah. to stay alone. But it obviously moves. So whatever it is, it's alive. But he still goes out there looking for it. And then it's just gone. And then by the time he turns around, everyone else is gone. And so he heads in the opposite direction to the, the he cabin. He exploring in the house. Yeah. So he goes to the cabin. The Mars farmhouse. 
homestead that he earlier threw a rock into. Yes. Ellie tells Betsy that she's very proud of her for realizing that this guy is possessive. And, uh, and not just, you know, like giving it up freely. Don't give in to him. And so TP is trying to get this axe out of the wood, and it so doesn't matter, but it's basically Thor's hammer, except that... In reverse? The <laughs> you gotta be the evil axe murderer. The evil axe yeah. murderer can get it. Madman Mars can get it out. So while this is happening, the guy who told the story at the campfire says to TP, Hey buddy, if you play too hard, you might not like what you become. And the guy yells at him, you become a winner when you keep playing hard. Uh-huh. And, like, it's this moment of clarity of, like, oh, shit, I was a dick. Uh-huh. So he's going to go and apologize but in front of everyone. But not just to her in private so he can get tail. He does it in front of everyone. He's like, hey, everyone, I just want to apologize for doing what I did in front of all of you, making everyone uncomfortable. I was a total dickhead. And Betsy, I'm really, really sorry. And I shouldn't have treated you like that. Like he did come to that realization and admitted it publicly and apologized to everyone, especially Betsy. Like if you're going to do anything after you did that dickhead maneuver, that's pretty much all he could do. They all applaud him. Yes. (laughs) Tonight, you all witnessed a scene between Betsy and me up at the campfire that should have never happened. I'd like to publicly apologize to Betsy and to the rest of you for subjecting you to my petty and selfish attitude. That's it, folks. He did the right thing. He was a stand-up guy, and he's going to get rewarded for that. Meanwhile, Dippy, who I assume (laughs) is the the cook... At this camp. He's wearing cook stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he gets his throat slashed. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what did Dippy do? (laughs) Nothing. It doesn't matter. Mars was called. Everyone needs to die. I guess. And a reminder, Richie, the one who called him, isn't anywhere nearby right now. Mm Mm-hmm. He is at Mars's house. Hanging out in Mars's (laughs) house doing God knows what. Oh, well, we do get to see what he does, because I'm like, look at this dipshit who gets to keep living. Uh-huh. Uh, he gets to see Madman Mars dragging bodies, and he's just like, what's going on? Like, he never understands no. what he's seeing. No. Ever. Ever. And again, I thought this was a place for gifted children. Uh-huh. But so, oh my god, this is when the noises start happening. Oh my god, you're going to have to do so many of those stupid (laughs) noise clips. And there's plenty of them because that's how they would tell you he was there. Uh There's especially an elongated section when I want to say it's Stacy, the flautist. Who, uh, the next time we see her, she's going to be in a canoe by herself at nighttime playing her flute. <laughs> Don't know if it's a flute. It's if some you do this, please, sort of, yeah. please email us and tell us why you enjoy sitting in a canoe. Not on the water, by the way. Just on the, on the shore. By yourself at nighttime playing your flute. Tell us about that experience. There's a moment where she's walking to a car or something. I think it's her, but it might be Betsy. And Madman just kind of like follows her. And we get things from his perspective for a while. And it's like an elongated shot of him just grunting and rustling through leaves. (laughs) 
like three feet away from her and she doesn't even realize it. Oh my God. <laughs> this movie is basically the opposite of Alien. In space, there's no one to hear you scream. Here, in the dead of quiet, there's no one to hear you scream. There's everyone to hear you scream. It's just they can't. They don't. <laughs> they won't. Uh -huh. They refuse to. Nobody could hear anything. <laughs> Which is why Mars doesn't respond to Max whispering his name several times over during the story. It's Richie shouting it. <laughs> that, that's stupid. Him. It doesn't matter. I wrote down the grunting is a bit much. Oh my god. But so he ends up, Mad Mars ends up running out of the house, and then Richie ends up following him. Into the woods, where he will be lost for almost the rest of the movie. Yes, and we will continue to get to see him being lost in the film. Yep. We get to see that he has a nap at one point. He Apparently, he just kind of like gets up from the ground. Yes! And I'm like, wait, were you taking a nap? <laughs> We get some really, really terrible ADR with him where yeah. he asks, where am I? Uh -huh. And he goes, damn, because he's lost. And yep. it's just, ah. Uh, where am I? Damn. It's bad. So Max is leaving for the night. Oh, and he he's has, awesome. He has a really cool line here. Kelsey said he's awesome. And then later on, he gets another cool line. <laughs> he's just so hard to dislike. And we're going to not see him again until the end of the movie. As he's leaving, he's going to go play cards. <laughs> As he's leaving, he says, oh, before I forget. Before I forget, that beer you've got hidden in the bottom of the refrigerator against orders. Save me one. Save me one. <laughs> yeah. Like, what a cool guy. <laughs> yes. It's really cute. He's really hard to dislike. And when they start to talk about things that teens do, he's like, I I'm too old for this conversation. <laughs> I better get out of here. Like, that's awesome. I wish I want to be a camp owner, baby. Yeah. That's what I want to do. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, my God. Kelsey. We get the most uncomfortable sex scene. We get the spin cycle coming up here where Betsy is totally fine with TP now that he apologized in front of everybody. And there's just going to be a strip scene where they take off every piece of their clothing, including his giant TP belt buckle. So, uh, like, it's, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. very uncomfortable. It's weird close-up shots. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable. We get a flash of her boobs and his butt yep. as they get into this giant wooden hot tub. Which I'm like, that's really cool. That's that cool, this, right, yeah. This this place for kids they have a hot tub and then they sort of like they're sitting opposite each other in the hot tub and they sort of rotate <laughs> counterclockwise around staying on opposite sides but that's not all they're like the moon where they both orbit the center and spin on their own as they go around, yeah, it just looks like they're in a giant washing machine. Yeah, it's so ridiculous and weird and uncomfortable. And then we get, because we heard him singing earlier and we know it. I did look it up. It is him. <laughs> we get TP singing, I don't need words. Don't need words to know. Don't need words to know. How I feel about you Don't need words it, that, That's playing the whole time they're just spinning around each other. <laughs> 
And then they finally kiss. <laughs> and then we're going to get cutting back to them. And they're like, there's a weird comment where they're both underwater. Oh, my God. And then Betsy says something like, I was in the middle of it. I you was didn't right, let me finish. I was right in the middle. You didn't let me finish. I was right in the middle. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> if you're underwater and holding yourself underwater and you have no leverage, that has to be really uncomfortable. Oh, my God. I don't know how they breathe. <laughs> well, they're not. <laughs> It just seems like a dumb thing they thought they would throw in there to be cute. And it just makes us ask all sorts of it's questions. So <laughs> it's so weird. It was so weird. But then we get a cut to the face and it's like, oh shit, that face. But then the Mars's noise face, yeah. destroys Ugh. any any kind of shock value you were getting is ruined by that noise. And we cut back to the four other counselors and Dave, the blonde one. It seems like they're all high. They're lying with like their heads next to each other and they're they're like waxing philosophical and then Dave starts to pontificate on how you can oh, never do really not know get me started on Dave. What's going on in other people's heads? You never really know what's in my mind at any given time. You never know if I'm thinking rationally or if I've created some other reality. It seems to fit. It seems to be normal. But you never really know what normal is to me. And then he starts talking about how I could be homicidal and you wouldn't know it. You know what? As a matter of fact, meanwhile, he has his pocket knife out. Yes. As a matter of fact, I could chop all of you up tonight. And hide the bodies, and no one would know. And they're all just watching him until one of them, it might be Ellie, says, Dave, are you okay? <laughs> you never really know. Dave, are you okay? And then he does like this jump scare thing, like, ah! And then they all laugh. Like, like he didn't no just threaten deal. to murder them. <laughs> Fuck it, this movie is weird. It's so weird, and I love it. Oh my god. Also, at one point, the flutist has to get up a hill, and she's stuck in the mud, and for some reason, this murderer, who we've seen run a lot, uh -huh. can't get to this woman before yep. she gets up this hill, and it takes her forever. But then she blows a raspberry, which made me think of... Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. <laughs> Because now any raspberry is going to make me think of In that. In the 70s and 80s, that was the biggest insult you could give to nothing, right? <laughs> like, I, you just don't give it to things. I guess. You're just shouting at the world, at the hill. <laughs> TP realizes that Richie is missing, so he has to go find him, like I said. Yeah. He goes looking for him, and then he's like, smells like... <laughs> and he gets a noose around his neck. You forgot that before he leaves, Betsy will see the madman. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, I thought I saw something. It disappears behind one of the cabins, right? It just like, whoop, goes behind the cabin. And then she's like, oh, I guess it wasn't anything. Because it didn't because come it back didn't, out. Because it didn't come back out. So she just stays looking at that corner and because it doesn't come back out, must have been nothing. Yeah, it must not be a person <laughs> that's going to kill us all. So ridiculous. But it is going to kill TP, 
It's going to hang him. And TP is going to try to survive by grabbing onto the branch he's hanging from and yeah, holding himself does up. Does pretty okay. He does an admirable job of it until until Mars. Like, what does he do? He like yanks him down or yeah, something. Yeah, yanks him down and breaks his neck. Yeah, we get a close up of the feet here. Quite a few of them. Very obviously fake feet and the long yes. fingernails. The feet are ridiculous. They mm-hmm. they just look like these big rubber things that keep slapping down. They don't move like feet at, yeah. in any way. Uh-huh. Now Dave needs to go looking for TP. I'll find him one, two, three. <laughs> I'll find him one, two, three. Do people say that? It's in... Now in the box, we'll wait and hide until his curiosity entices him to look inside and then we'll have him one, two, three. Yes, it is. <laughs> I thought that was just because it was for a song because it fit in the song. <sighs> so he passes by the stuck axe and then we see Mars show up and pry it free. So that's where oh, Mars gets his axe finally. Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> Why was Captain America not able to get it the first time? Why was he able to get it the second it time? It shifted, but he really hadn't proven himself yet. What do you, what do you have to do? <laughs> Does anybody know? It's a plot contrivance. <laughs> Everyone in the audience cheered. <laughs> so then he goes and he kills Dave with an axe. After Dave is like, what's that sound? And then he finds TP's swinging body. After the entire movie slows down. Yes. Again, the movie is terrible at building tension, but it stops the whole movie to attempt it. Yes. And it's terrible. It it, it completely is just like... It grinds everything to Get to the next scene. Yeah. And then, of course, the madman shows up and he gets to kill the first person in the movie with an axe and he chops off Dave's head. Yeah, and he gets a great silhouette shot. Yes, this is where we get the silhouette shot. And he and like he's like really, really broad. Like it looks fake. You know, yeah. just like the feet, just like the the head, just like it looks like he's in a full bodysuit. And he doesn't need to be, but it gives him this really imposing silhouette. And it's kind of cool. Whoever the cinematographer is, they know what they're doing. They did some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So then Flute Girl has to oh. go out looking for both of them. Yes, but we also <laughs> haven't mentioned how bad the Foley is in this movie. There's so much. You, you mentioned that. There's so much crazy, there, so many crazy sounds that I'm like, that's what you think that would sound like? Basically really? anything that's done in post-production is terrible. There's a lot of in-the-moment sounds of brush being shuffled and stuff like that that's actually being recorded on set. That works really well. But then they do have these moments where it's just like, let's ADR this line. Let's Foley this sound. And it's just very obviously like fake Not and bad. what's actually yes. happening. Uh-huh. But yes, yeah, so Flute Girl, I think this is the moment where she's followed by him for a while. You're content to stay here and oh, I'm yeah. not. She says that to Betsy like it's a, Haha, I'm just fun and cute and we're friends. And it's like, no, that was a really bitchy thing to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she's not offended. No, she isn't, because the scriptwriter didn't think it was bitchy. Right. But it really is. I think we should both stay here. Well, Betsy, that's the difference between you and me. You're content to sit behind, and I'm not. You may be content to stay, but I'm going to find our friends. Uh, yeah, and then I'm sure she regretted that later. So she tries to get the car started, and then it won't. But Before in that moment, that... he tries to, like, reach for the car door. Yes. And then it pulls away right as he's trying to open it. That's another he's great like, shot. Oh, oh, like the close up on the hand and the hand's doing the acting of like, oh, man. Yes. Shucks. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
But also, before that, she goes to enlist the help of the other couple that is having sex in a tent. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And she walks in on them, and it's very obvious that they're having sex, and goes, oops. Yeah. But then I'm going to continue to have this whole conversation, and then when they end, she goes, don't rush, but hurry. Like, you're such a bitch! <laughs> you suck! It's okay, she gets, like, the most humiliating death in this movie. You know what it is? It's probably that she's super jealous, because her boyfriend is Dave, and he's probably a fucking Dave crazy asshole. Yes. <laughs> he's already dead so it doesn't matter but then her truck breaks down again and she pops the hood and then starts to fiddle around in there and then up comes mars and he's like climbing over the truck and she doesn't even notice it like it should be shifting under his weight and stuff and then he slams down the hood even though like half of her body is caught in there it only manages to chop off her head. Perfectly. Perfectly clean. Perfectly clean. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's so silly. You might get a gash in your neck or something if that happened to you, or a headache. Yeah. But it wouldn't chop off your head. I can't imagine that it would. No. But he he does it, and it was very much a home sweet home situation. Yes. Uh-huh. At least in home sweet home, he like <laughs> elbow dropped it, and it was fun that way. <laughs> But we also didn't mention the crazy shot of when she finds Dave beheaded. Does she find Dave beheaded? Yeah, when she... Okay, so when she goes out to fix the car the second Uh time, she is aware that the madman is out there. That's why when she gets out, she's all, like, scared. But what does she decide to do because she's scared? Go super slow. And I'm just like, why would going slow help you in any way? Mm -hmm. If anything, you would want to go fast. It doesn't make any sense that you would go slow. But as I was saying... When she finds Dave's beheaded body, it is a shocking moment. Yeah. She just pulls it up. Just as a reminder, Richie is still lost in the woods. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mars drags her body off and leaves the truck there. So you can imagine what's going to happen next. Mustache Man and Ellie, the two that were having sex in the tent, they go off looking for... Flautist, Stacy, who is looking for blonde guy, Dave, who is looking for singing pervert TP. You know, she swallowed a cat to catch the rat, to catch the, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they find the truck. And they get in, and they're like, oh, this is weird, let's try to start it, and it's not starting. Hmm, I wonder what's happening. And And there's a weird sound. Yeah, and then Mustache Man pops the hood and is like, oh shit, Ellie, don't come out here Day in the truck and he goes around to the driver's seat we don't know why yet and then ellie comes out and she looks in and she sees stacy's head yes cleanly in the engine compartment and freaks out oh yeah and then and mustache man comes back out and it's like the film what did i tell you <laughs> stay yes. in the truck yeah. yes ellie will be I mean, she's already really meek, but she'll be worthless like the rest of the movie, even though she gets one of the longest chase sequences in the entire yeah, movie. Yeah, she survives for a while Yeah, running away from Madman, but she does not make it, unfortunately. So Mustache Man bundles up the head because apparently he was going to get a cloth in the truck, bundles up the head and takes it back with him into the truck. I guess it's going to sit up front with them. I don't remember if he put it in the back or not. If you put it in the back, it's just a head rattling around back there as they drive away. (laughs) He tries to start the truck, and then out comes Mars, reaching in through 
the window and yanks him out and kills him. And Ellie's freaking out and she runs away. Finally, we get to see Richie waking up from his nap. And then he comes across Mars's house again. And then there's like a light and we don't see what he sees. And he's like, it's one of those sort of like, oh, no. Oh, no, moments. Oh, yeah. And, and we never really see what he sees. Well, well no, we, we, we find later, out later. Well, later he shows, like, at the very end. I mean, we already knew. Yes. At the end, he sees, like, it It shows what he saw. Yes. We'll find out what that is later, but we don't find out now. Right. But the look on his face is way over, like, not good. And it is ridiculous. And it lasts for way too long. Yeah. So, Ellie runs back to the camp and all the cabins, and she's screaming. But no one hears no her. No one hears her. Where did Betsy go at this point? She's, like, comforting the kids. Oh, yeah. Doesn't three, hear Ellie the three screaming. Girls. Yeah, but yeah. never hears her screaming. At some point in the chase, Ellie hides in the refrigerator. Which seems unsafe. It's very unsafe because it's a latching refrigerator. But apparently she just leaves the door to the refrigerator ajar slightly. I guess. So she doesn't get trapped and suffocate in there. Yep. And she gets out and he's gone. Even though he tore apart the whole house looking for her, he didn't bother to look in the refrigerator. <laughs> because hiding in the refrigerator is asinine. <laughs> but she comes across a door that he busts through, Jack Torrance style. And then, yes, she gets an axe in the chest. Yeah, and that door just completely comes Just apart falls apart yeah it's real cheap when betsy goes back to the cabin sees the door ajar and sees what i assume are betsy's legs because she's the only one who's died back at the campgrounds at mm -hmm. this point mm -hmm. uh, through the open front door she runs to the office to call max and is like i saw blood everywhere and max is like slow down what's going on <laughs> and not like i'll be right there yeah exactly <laughs> but again Hard to dislike Max. Yes. She comes back with a gun. And then even though we saw Betsy like lying on the ground dead there, I guess she's still alive. <laughs> because when Betsy sees Ellie through the window. I think the implication is that, that Mars like throws her. Throw her against the window or something. But I don't you're know. You're right because it does sound like she says her name, but she's also already dead. So I don't get I don't it. Know. Betsy I don't think shoots. The movie knows. Yeah. Betsy shoots Ellie, and then there's, like, a little fire. Like, she catches on fire, and it, like, jump cuts to the worst dummy. Like, a terrible dummy. <laughs> and then she gathers together all the kids and gets them in... The bus. The bus that they have there, and starts to drive away, but the the bus stalls. Something... Ha yeah, it stalls? Yeah, it just stalls, because convenient all these cars are just breaking down getting yes. 10 feet from the campground mm -hmm. and then mars attacks ah. <laughs> get it ah. she fights him off with the butt of the gun or whatever like hitting his hands as he tries to reach over into the door over and over, again. over and over again and then he leaves and she continues to hit the door <laughs> in futility and then you're just like okay go Okay, but she go. turns to the kids and says, you are going to have to drive yourselves to the police station. I need to now, suddenly, make I need sure to make sure that there might be other alive. survivors. It's so stupid. Why wouldn't that have been your conclusion before? Yeah, it's so dumb. And the little girl goes, 
Oh, Betsy, don't leave us. I've got to find the others. Gotta see if anybody's alive. Drive directly to the police station. Don't stop for anything. Oh, Betsy, don't leave us. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. And then we get another moment where the whole movie grinds to a halt while it tries and fails to build tension. While Betsy is wandering around the campground looking for survivors and keeping an eye out for Mars. Okay, and she does it so slowly. <laughs> then she gets into the fight with him. He slashes her face, and then he hangs her on a hook by the back, just like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A la Texas Chainsaw uh -huh. Massacre. But she pulls out the knife that she's had on her hip this entire movie. Apparently. No, I saw it earlier when she was sitting down and talking to uh, Flautist. <laughs> I don't know. Is it a flute? Which is the one that you play directly down from your face and not off to the side? I thought it was a... a like a recorder or... I thought it was a... You tell us. I we got some musicians in the word. audience, right? Anyway, doesn't matter. She had this knife the entire time and stabs Mars in the back, kind of in futility. And then we get to see from her perspective what's on the other side of this basement in Mars's house, which is where he dragged her. I would not say that it was in futility. Causes the farmhouse to catch on fire. True. But for all we know, Mars survives. Whatever. But we do see all the bodies of everyone he's ever killed and what we assume to be his family stacked up against the wall. Here. Remember, this is a big this was a big theme for all of these movies, getting all of the bodies together in a way it that It really was. I mean, think about all the movies that did it. Happy birthday to me did it. Halloween did it. I mean, Friday the 13th, he started putting them in weird positions. <laughs> yes, we see all the bodies he's been collecting crammed into one side of this basement. And his yells when the farmhouse catches on fire are yeah. terrible. <sighs> Meanwhile, Richie's still alive. Motherfucker's still alive. And he hasn't been involved in any of this. But again, we assume he found the bodies. And that's because what he he's saw. he's all shell-shocked. Uh-huh. And he runs into Max, who was driving back. And he says to Max, Mars, he's real. And I remember, I don't know if I got it exactly, but he says it very funny. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. Richie! Richie! Are you all right? Richie! Man. Mars. He's real. And then we get a short little cut together of the bodies which is how we assume we know what Richie saw. Like, it's like we're seeing it from his perspective. And then we get Dave's shot with the silhouette of him carrying the axe again. Because they knew that was a good shot. Yeah. And they ruined it by putting it at the end again. Now, apparently this was supposed to lead into a sequel that never materialized, where Richie was going to be accused of the murders, and then Mars was going to still be around roaming the woods and kill again. You know, because we needed a sequel for and this. And Richie was such a valuable character. Yeah. Well, I mean, sequels were coming out left and right. Yeah. A, a Friday the 13th sequel is coming out every single year. That's true. Anyway, the end of the movie. And we get 
TP's acapella song from the very beginning set to the opening theme, which played one right after the other, by the way, at the beginning. Now they're played over the top of each other. I think it's still that same opening theme. Uh, singing the song of Mars, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, what what a ride. <laughs> it's a movie. It is certainly a movie. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? No Metacritic, no cinema score. A 30. 36 out of 11 reviews, no consensus. Do you think 36 is overrated or underrated? It's underrated. Yes. But what would you give it? I am going to give it a 49. That's so funny. I was going to give it a straight 50. Okay. I do not think this qualifies as a 50. It's just not quite there. Didn't quite get to the standard. Yeah, but I, I feel like maybe I enjoyed certain ridiculous moments, like, just in my head. Hey, I enjoyed like it I'm enough laughing to give to it myself. a 49. No, totally. No, no, absolutely. There's there's something there to enjoy, but it is by no means a good movie. No. By no means. Friday the 13th, it was not. No. Not at all. Mm-mm. But it was better than Home Sweet Home. Yes. Not quite a high, not a really high bar, but yes. (laughs) All right. That is 1981's Mad Men. Moving right along to our second film of the episode, our modern movie Fear Street Part 2, 1978 from 2021. Again, directed by Lee Janiak and written by Zach Olkowitz and Lee Janiak. With a story by Phil Grazia Day. Again, no idea if I'm pronouncing any of those names correctly. Starring Sadie Sink, Emily Rudd, Ted Sutherland, Gillian Jacobs, and the surviving cast from the first movie. What is Fear Street Part 2, 1978, all about, Kelsey? A serial killer stalks kids at a summer camp. And we're back in the town of... Well, I don't really know if we're in Shadyside or if we're in Sunnyvale, Sunnyvale, but it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, somewhere where both of these cities go to. Oh, well, we have to know where it is because they go there at the end. It's It's the mall. It's It's where the the mall mall is now. Yes. Yeah. uh Which I think is Sunnyvale, right? Or is it the Shadyside Mall? No, it's the Shadyside Mall. Shadyside Mall, yeah. So their summer camp must be in Shadyside. Yeah, I guess. If you want to catch up, you can just go back to episode 197 from just a few weeks ago, where we covered the first movie, part one, 1994. You can watch this movie through Netflix and only through Netflix because it is a Netflix original. Should people watch Fear Street part one, 1994? Yes. Why? It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, if you liked the last one. It's even better. It's better. Yeah. It is better than the first one. It's and funnier. And we liked the first one. Yeah. It's funnier. It's more alive. It's got more energy to it. I don't know. Yeah. And it's it feels a little bit like it does more with its setting as well. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, 1994. Okay, so they don't all have cell phones. And we get some period-appropriate music. This Lots one, of period appropriate Yeah, this music. one doesn't lean as hard on the music, if I remember correctly. We haven't rewatched it for the second time yet. We're going to do that after this. I don't remember that the music was as egregious as the 94 one was. 
probably because Lee Janiak didn't grow up in the 70s, but did grow up in the 90s. That would be my guess. Probably. Well, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2021's Fear Street Part 2, 1978. Hello? It's not over. You are our last chance. How do we end this? You have to go back to 1978. The first day of camp. Looks like blood. Do you have a better idea? Maybe. Who are you? Nick Good. Bad things always happen to shady siders. You feel it, don't you? There's something holding us down. Who's seen us? Run. One way or another, you're gonna die tonight. There it is. It's not just a diary, it's a map. I'm not letting you die. My sister's still out there. You swore it's becoming a habit. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Fear Street Part Two, nineteen seventy eight, begin? With a news broadcast telling us about what just happened in 1994. Yeah. In the first episode. It ends with soaked in blood and broken Broken dreams. dreams. This is on the news. So melodramatic. Yeah. It's everything in 1994 is kind of (laughs) silly. Well, 1994 was kind of (laughs) silly. We get the man who sold the world. By Nirvana. Yes, the the unplugged version from MTV Unplugged. Uh, This is when we get to meet C. Berman and see what she's doing with her life. Played by Gillian Jacobs. Who we all know from Community. Yes. Unless you are me, and you hate yourself, and you've seen the movie Gardens of the Night. I haven't seen that movie. Don't. (laughs) Unless you want to be aware of how to protect your child from being abducted. Is that what the whole thing is about? This movie, well... She is a child who is abducted and then put into the sex trafficking industry. Oh, fun. It is, uh... Yeah, you want to know why I saw that movie? Evan Peters is in it. Oh, no. For one scene. And so she saw the whole movie. Yes. Kelsey gets these movie crushes. (laughs) And Evan Peters, for many, many years. (laughs) Many, 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 many years. Is that why we watched American Horror Story in the first place? No. Did you it's, not know who he was at that point? I had point? no idea who he was. It was in the American first Horror season Story of American Horror Story. Introduced him to me. Yeah. No, he just happened to be on the best season of the entire show. Yeah, God. <laughs> it really is. Sorry, haters. I don't care what you say. 
the first season is the best season of that show. It is the best season. Every other one is so fucking self-indulgent. But there are several that I really enjoy. Yes. We've talked about this in the past. We like some of the seasons. And he's back. Oh, for the new season? So we need to watch it. Uh Uh-huh. Because he couldn't have possibly been there for the one season set in the 80s. Uh-huh. Couldn't have done it. <laughs> couldn't have possibly been in that season. But he's back, so we need to watch it. I can't, I don't know what people are saying about that season. Oh, we're gonna watch it. I feel like it's either better than you might think, or, oh man, this show's really gone downhill. <laughs> we'll watch the new one, sure. Anyway... She has alarms for everything, including for her locks and feeding the dog. And it's a bit over the top. Now, her dog's name, she calls him Major. We will find out that his name is Major Tom. So we have the man who sold the world that she's playing, at this point, the modern version of. Now, they played that live set in 93, like November or so. I can't remember the exact date. The album wasn't released until november of 94 she's not necessarily playing the album right but it it surely was on the radio Mm -hmm. in between that time yeah surely but yeah november 18th 93 was when it was recorded and november 1st 94 is when the album was released close we're gonna have another close call but otherwise completely period appropriate music cool yeah They did a much better job in this movie. Was it you who said it was because she grew up during the 90s and not the 70s? So the music didn't. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, so no, that was me because before the jump, I said that I didn't notice the music as much. Watching it now that we've seen it again for the second time, I can tell you that they do just as much of that as there was in the 90s version. But because I grew up in the 90s, I probably noticed the 90s one a lot more and didn't notice the 70s one. Because all those are, eh, came out sometime in the 70s. It also helped that this movie is from the late 70s and not yes. the mid-90s like the last one is. Mm-hmm. So, But anyway, yeah, so a, a modern for-the-time version of a David Bowie song, a dog named after a david bowie character major tom was in space oddity from 1969 but it's fine this is taking place in the 90s we will also get a character though who is named ziggy likely as a reference to the rise and fall of ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars which was out by 1978 that came out in 1972 so if she is obviously a david bowie fan and there's a character that we're going to meet named Ziggy. We're going to spoil this for you now. <laughs> C. Berman is not Cindy Berman. No. It's Christine. Christine Berman, otherwise known through the rest of this movie as Ziggy. There is a problem with this, which is a very, very minor one, but we'll get to it at the end because that's when it happens. But yet another reference to Stephen King as well. Oh, yeah. Christine. Even though the book hadn't come out. Yes, true. But who knows? There are name references in this. A couple of the characters' names are characters from Friday the 13th movies. Mm. Alice and Tommy are characters in Friday the 13th. Mm. But yes, so if you're paying attention, you can figure out the twist before (laughs) it happens. (laughs) So, the kids from the last movie... 
Dina and Josh and Sam tied up in the trunk show up at her house. And instead of knocking like normal people, they just try to get into this woman's house, uh-huh. which makes her understandably nervous and yeah. paranoid. And she knocks the girl out when she breaks into her house. They're desperate, man. Too desperate to do a Apparently. <laughs> but so they explain their plight and she's just like, you can't stop it. Uh, you need to get the hell out of here. And she explains, I love Sam and I'm not going to let this happen to her. Uh-huh. So they convince her to sit down and tell her story. Yes. Which is when we get a flashback. And then Camp Nightwing. It's a cool name. It is a cool name. It's also a name that was used in the original Fear Street books. Oh, nice. But not with this story. It's a book called Lights Out. Doesn't have the same story, but yes, there is a Camp Nightwing. It's also the coolest camp ever. Sure. It's got archery. It's got arts and crafts. Arts and crafts. Also, Friday the 13th with the archery at camp. Yes. (laughs) But it just, it's, it looks like it's got everything. And it looks like, you know, it's all just teens running kids. Mm. So it looks like it's just, it's a ton of fun. Ziggy is running through the woods and then just gets a clothesline out of nowhere. Yeah, I don't quite understand where he was in Yeah, if she was being chased, why is that, he in front of her? Well, that, but also I don't understand how she didn't see him yeah, uh-huh. if he was in front of her. I get that she turns and then he just happens to put his arm out right at that second. Yeah. But it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Then we get horror movie favorite of extreme bullying. Like real fucking extreme bullying. Yes. They string her up from the hanging tree. Yes. Which we'll find out is where Sarah Fear was hanged. So she is strung up by her wrists because they claim that she stole money. I can't tell if she actually did This or not. is never resolved. She says that she didn't do it. The girls say everyone saw her. Right, I don't believe I, them. I don't believe that, but... The money's in her... There is money in her pocket in the right amount, and she never explains why she was falsely accused. Yeah. Now, of course, in a court, she should go free. Yes. But this isn't a court. Like, we need to know something about our character. Did she just randomly steal $10 from yeah. this girl? Yeah. And this bully is taunting her, and while doing so, she hits her with her elbow and hits her nose. Also, like, everyone's like, oh my god, you hit her. She's being strung up from a tree. And a dude already hit a girl. Yeah. uh Why are you being shocked? And then the chick's like, well, we're gonna burn her because she's a witch. She's Sarah Fear. And we're going to burn her. And the kids are like, what? Really? And then they just do it. Well, Sheila does it. Right. But they let her do it. Yeah. And that is when the goods show up. Yeah. Nick and Will Good. Now we know Nick. He's the sheriff in 94. We also get a glimpse of Will at the very beginning. He's the mayor. And he's like giving a speech. And I was under the impression that Nick was the older brother. No. But apparently not. No, he's the younger brother. Which makes things complicated and messy. Yeah, and I think I have a theory for this. We will talk about that theory when it comes to the third movie, when we watch 1666. So Will is already with them. 
Yeah. He's the one who shows up and is like, five strikes, Berman. Yeah. Yeah. There's just some other random dude who's part of this girl clique. Who we never really see again. But when he says that, Nick explains, and this is totally true, someone's going to ask about the burn on her arm. Yeah, let's just let this one slide. Mm-hmm. And Will's like, yeah, one more strike, Berman. Nick really likes this girl, and it's very obvious, and she knows it. But she also is just like, you know, you're a Sunny Valer, I'm a Shady Sider, which we've already discussed in the last episode. They are rivals, mm-hmm. 100%. They hate each other, and Shady Siders are considered evil, and Sunny Side is considered great. He also is like, I don't know what his father is. His father is the was sheriff? the sheriff, yeah. So but he have, recently died. They have this big legacy. Uh-huh. That he has to fulfill in the in the town, and everyone expects him to do it. And he feels pressure. He's going to reveal that to Ziggy later on. Yes, but Ziggy is aware of it already, and she knows that they can't actually be together. Mm-hmm. And so you're like the Sunny Veiler of all Sunny Veilers, right? So I'm not going to be stupid and go after you when I know that this can't go anywhere. Uh huh. So she goes back to camp, and we a song get plays. Brother loves traveling salvation show. From Neil Diamond. On August night and the leaves hanging down and the grass on the ground smelling sweet. 1969. Okay. There you go. Uh, we get a little bit of a montage showing us the camp and we see that the color war is that evening, which mm-hmm. is a big, big deal. We get to meet the some of the other camp counselors, including the hippie lady who I really like. Joan. Yeah. Joan. She's great. There is also the friend from the new Halloween movie. Gary. Who dies in uh-huh. Halloween. Uh, and he's pretty good in this movie. He doesn't have a very big part. Right, but he's... He makes an impact. Yeah. And then we get to meet the sister, Cindy. So, immediate transition into new song... Love will keep us together from Captain and Tennille. Love, love will keep us together. Think of me, babe, whenever. Some sweet talking girl comes along. Singing a song. Don't mess around. You just gotta be strong. Just stop. Cause I really love you. Stop. I'm thinking of Which is good because later on her friend Alice will comment on the fact that you shouldn't have blasted Captain and Tennille uh-huh. for two hours or whatever. That was 1975. There you go. And she and her boyfriend Tommy are cleaning up the bathroom which is covered in this red moss which we talked about in the first film. That's mm. where Sam bled on it and, on body and saw yeah. things yes. and then turned. Which I think we talked about in the last episode are two different things. Okay. The vision she gets and her being possessed are two different things. But it is her blood on that moss that makes the evil ones come after her. Yeah. uh But don't worry, Cindy doesn't bleed here. But she is cleaning the outhouse and her perfect boyfriend, Tommy, just like the sweetest guy in the world. He is so nice. You really like him. He's a great guy. And then he turns, which I guess makes sense when you think about it from Friday the 13th, doesn't it? 
Tommy Jarvis. I guess, yeah. Uh-huh. We Sweet haven't gotten to the episode love. where he turns yet. But Well, he kind of did at the end of four. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. So we go from this loving couple because Cindy realizes that the other two camp counselors are not helping them. And this is going to be Arnie and Alice. Yes. And when we meet them, they fucking two cherry bomb by the runaways from 1976. Hello, Daddy. Hello, Mom. Yeah, they're smoking weed and having sex and they love to do drugs and all that and they're refusing to help her and they're not going to do their jobs. We also get that Alice and Cindy used to be best friends and now they're not and Alice calls her snitch. Yeah, she snitched on her for something. Yeah, we're going to find out that that was even a while back. So this is something that Alice is like carrying around with her. I think they're like supposed to be... 16 and that 17. happened when they were 12 yeah uh-huh so it's years later but i mean she's not wrong we'll find out <laughs> we also find out that cindy has these big dreams she wants to go to college she mm-hmm. wants to do well for herself which is why she puts on this whole prim and proper she basically wants persona. to break the effect that the curse in quotes causes for all the shady siders yes basically all the shady shady siders lives are shit and you know what it's very very true (laughs) of all the people that die in this movie they're all shady siders and in some cases extremely conveniently so but so meanwhile ziggy has gone to the nurse's office to treat her burn and the nurse is Ruby Lane's mother, who yes. we met in the first film. She was the kindly neighbor who took the kids in. Yes. So what I'm assuming happened is after this, they were like, uh-huh. oh, we see why you tried to kill him. You may go free now. <laughs> is that what happened? I guess. I mean, she was taken away by the EMTs. Maybe Nick did something about yeah. it. Maybe Nick felt a little bit bad for her maybe can't imagine why yeah and he just let her go well he was a kid at the time so i don't know she just served her time at i mean some ziggy point. liked her too so that always that probably helped things. i mean this is 16 years later she's not going to be in prison for that long for trying to kill a kid <laughs> who's gonna press charges <laughs> <laughs> but yes we we hear that ruby lane her daughter the one who would sing you always hurt the one you love killed eight people including herself yeah and ziggy notices that this nurse ain't looking too good she also sees a thing about the witch's curse on her desk and ziggy is concerned and the nurse is going to be getting really aggressive and she starts talking about how sometimes murder is right the doctors say it was a psychotic episode that she just snapped the kids the kids say sarah fear made her do it that's a little tight what do you think? Because I think you don't go from being a sweet girl with dreams to ripping someone's insides out the switch. People I have found usually kill for a reason, and sometimes that reason is justified. Sometimes killing isn't murder. Sometimes it's necessary. Nurse Lane, it's kind of hurting me. Sometimes it is good. Nurse Lane! We find out that she knows that her daughter was possessed, 
And in the moment, it sounds like she's trying to rationalize her daughter's behavior. Yeah. But what, what she's really doing is she's rationalizing what she's going to do. Yes. She is going to come after Tommy because Tommy's name is on the rock that you put the name of the person that's going to be possessed by Seraphir into. Yes. Uh, there's We're going to find a rock. Like a rock wall later on that's going to have all the names of all the killers etched into it. And so if a name appears on that rock, they're going to get possessed. Mary saw the name on the rock and was like, well, I'm going to have to kill Tommy. And that's what she's going to try to do later. And the assumption is that Seraphir writes the names on the rock from beyond the grave. Yes. So let's get to that. Cindy and Tommy are cleaning in the mess hall. When... <laughs> Here comes Mary uh, and tries to kill Tommy. And she says, Nurse Lane, I'm sorry, but I can't save you. I saw your name. I saw it on the wall. One way or another, you're going to die tonight. What are, what are you talking about? And while this is happening, the first cut is the deepest is playing. Cat Stevens. <laughs> I also saw a credit of Bitter Blue by Cat Stevens, and I don't remember hearing that one. I don't know that. So, I don't know what that's about. We might have missed it. But she is unable to do so, and he is able to knock her out. Yeah. But she does hurt him. Yeah. In the process. Like, bangs his head. And... Cindy is stunned and cannot move. Yes. So later she will think that she is unable to act in the moment. Yeah. But then we will find out that she's able to act if it's to save her sister. Uh-huh. At the same time, Ziggy is being harassed by the bully again, and they have written stuff all over her bunk. Yeah. We're going to get a camera shot that's going to go through the mess hall where all the kids are getting excited uh, for the color war and the shady side counselors are going to be talking about what the fuck that Nurse Lane just did. All the while. Don't Fear the Reaper is playing. By Blue Oyster Cult from 1976. Good song. Such a yeah. good song. Yeah, and it's great. The hippie chick is just making a joint just out in the open. Uh -huh. And she's so funny. She's so... She's great. Every line she says is great. Gary's here in this moment as well. Yeah, and he's good too. Mm -hmm. And they're all kind of joking about what the woman did to Tommy. But Tommy is just like... Why would she do that? This is I for real. What, yeah. did, what happened? Uh-huh. And Cindy would like to brush it under the rug, but is concerned about her boyfriend. Yeah. 
And they're joking about Sarah Fear strikes again. Uh-huh, it's the witch's curse. But, of course, Cindy says that's all pish-posh. Meanwhile, Will Good, who will be the sh- the mayor one day, is uh-huh. giving this ridiculous speech for the color war. What does he say that Gary mumbles a correction on? Commence? We communicate the color war! Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Gary's it's like, commence. it's commence. <laughs> like, what a fucking moron. And then the hippie chick gets up there and she's like, it doesn't matter if we lose. We're all winners in our hearts. <laughs> Everyone's like, boo. <laughs> then we cut to Ziggy getting paint for who knows what, at least at this point. And Cindy's going to come in to talk to her about what went on with Nurse Lane. Aren't you friends with Nurse Lane? While? Moon Age Daydream by David Bowie is playing from 1972. I'm an alligator. I'm a mama papa coming for you. I'm a space invader. I'll be a rock and rolling bitch for you. Keep your mouth shut. He is an alligator. He is a mama papa coming for you. Just as a little tidbit for anybody who's interested. Moon Age Daydream and Cherry Bomb are both in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Soundtrack? Soundtrack. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, so then we get to see this argument between the two sisters, Cindy and Ziggy. And Ziggy is way, way harsh, tie. <laughs> Cindy calls her out on it, but then at the same time, Ziggy then shows her what the other girls did to her bunk. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And Cindy realizes, or kind of realizes, that she's kind of a shitty sister. Ziggy's getting shit on, too. Yeah, you trying to improve things for yourself, do whatever it takes to break that curse, you're leaving your sister behind. She's going through the same shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's a reason she behaves the way she does. Cut to carry on my wayward son. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Carry on wayward son by Kansas from 1976. While everyone is outside prepping for the color war. Will is giving a speech to the Sunnyvalers, and then Tommy's trying to give direction to the Shady Siders, but he's getting, like, lightheaded. Keeps hearing his name whispered. Uh-huh. He's not feeling good. He attributes it to the fact that he got hit. Yeah, he hit his head. And Cindy's like, are you okay? So she decides to investigate, because she wants to make Tommy feel better, I guess, even though he doesn't want to do it. And she thinks she's found drugs, and the joke is later in that Nurse it's, Lane's office. Yeah, the the joke later is that it's just Tylenol. So she thinks she's found drugs, and then Arnie and Alice break in to find to drugs. look for drugs. Yeah, uh-huh. and they get excited from this pill in an unlabeled bottle <laughs> that has etched into it L four eight four, which is five hundred milligrams of acetaminophen. Yes, Tylenol. <laughs> but more importantly. Cindy and Tommy have already found the witch's curse book and Alice takes it from them. Alice takes it from them and they get excited because they think they found a map to this, the witch's house. Yeah. What they find in this, what appears to be a diary from 1666, but also includes like a map that, that nurse lane was obviously drawing on is in there as well. 
they identify this as being the original Union settlement where this campground is currently positioned and where the Shady Side Mall will eventually be built. It's camp, but it looks like she drew all over it. 1666 Union. Union, that's Shady Side. What? I mean, the settlement before it was divided into Shady Side and Sunnyvale. Really? If you went to class. So the camp is built in the same place as the settlement? Yes, and they read that she emerged at the meeting house, which is now the mess hall. Which yeah, be that'll important. be important later. They'll realize that. That's when she emerges with her hand cut off. Mm-hmm. And that will be very important in the third film. We also hear that the curse will last until the body and hand are united. When Nick Good walks in on Ziggy doing her art project with red paint, a song is playing that I didn't know. Ever fallen in love with someone you shouldn't have by the Buzzcocks. Now, this is the closest to anachronistic as we're going to get. It's from the album Love Bites, which was released on September 22nd of this year. The single came out a little bit earlier on September 8th. Now, this is a summer camp. This is a summer camp. I, there's no way it's gone into the second week of September. Mm-mm. But it's really, really close. It's very close, but no cigar. Yeah. But I've never heard that song, have you? Uh, no, I mean, I don't really know the Buzzcocks that well. Never mind the Buzzcocks. And so he will very quickly realize that she is going to try to carry the bully by pouring pig's blood but really just red paint on her and i feel like maybe you don't do what the bully from carrie does yeah right like that's the really shitty thing to do yeah but he ends up coming up with something far worse and she's very excited to do that with him because they discover that they're both big stephen king fans yeah she's really surprised that he knows what carrie is carrie came out the movie (laughs) Two years prior, and was a big success. Mm-hmm. There's no way he doesn't know it. He also says that Carrie is his second favorite to Salem's Lot. Yes. And then he says later that his new one is supposed to be good. The Stand? So, Alice, Arnie, Cindy, and Tommy find the witch's house. But Tommy is not doing well. But he does realize, hey, that she was looking for the hand. Yeah. So there are all these plots where she's tried digging. And they start looking around the house. And they start finding a lot of weird occult things. And and she's just like, whatever, you know, this is from ancient times. And Alice points out that candle was lit not too long ago. Mm -hmm. Someone was down here. Something happened down here. Yeah. And they find a secret passage into these caverns underneath the surface. And they realize that there's this like weird etching into the ground and there's a fire in the middle of it. And Cindy realizes that's the witch's mark. Yeah, they think that this is Satan's stone where she cut off her hand. Mm-hmm. But Alice finds the Wall of Names and sees Tommy's name written there. And tries to tell 
Cindy, and Cindy, of course, wants to ignore this. I would, too. She's like, yeah, oh, come on, Alice. And Alice is like, what, you think I just scratched it into solid stone with my fingernails just for a joke? And at the same time, poor Arnie is going to get the axe. Axe to the face. Yes. In the face. (laughs) There is a lot of axe action in this movie. If it's not clear, Tommy kills Arnie. Yes. He has been fully possessed. And he's going to go on a murder spree. Uh, They will get separated, though, in the caverns. And he can't get in and they can't get out. But they all survive. Except for Arnie, of course. Meanwhile, back at the camp, we discover what the plan was for the bully. Yeah, so this is an interesting thing. This dude comes in, who is a Sunnyvaler, and hands Sheila a note saying that it's from Will. I'm sure Nick gave it to him and that's, said that. That's my thought as well. As Nick gave it to him and said, oh, my brother. Yeah. But Will ain't there because Will is having sex with the hippie. With Joan, yeah. Because uh-huh. Joan earlier said that he was shagadelic <laughs> and had a neato speech. But she enters the bathroom, and I love her response. This is too cute. We could have done it in your, bu- in your bunk, but I guess this is kind of hot. How is this kind of hot? (laughs) Doing it where you shouldn't be doing it. Ew. I know. Gross. Especially when you find out how this outhouse works. Well, how all outhouses work. That's so gross. No wonder they smell the way they do. By the way, this whole time, don't leave me this way. Yeah, so as they're about to pour whatever's in this bucket on top of her, we get, oh, baby. Which is Don't Leave Me This Way by Thelma Houston, not the original recording by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes from 1975. This Thelma Houston one is from 1976. Mm. So, still enough time. Uh, yeah, but the cockroaches and the spiders and stuff is so much worse than getting poured with red paint. Yeah, that's what she ends up getting on her because Nick convinced her that she can do better than paint in a bucket. And then they locked her into the bathroom. Yes. And And she never gets out by herself. Not by herself. Yeah, but they forget about her. And you know what? Kind of so do you. Yeah, I completely forgot about her until that until they're like, oh, shit, where's Sheila? (laughs) (laughs) So meanwhile, the girls have discovered that Tommy murdered Arnie. Yeah. And they've run for their lives. This is when the cave in happens and they can't get out the way they came in. Yeah. And. Alice says to her, we're going to die down here. And you love it when a character says that. It's Uh just such a good emotional raw moment. (laughs) Every time. Please, can you just help me? With what? Alright, this shit weighs like a million pounds. I thought you had an A in physics. We have to get out. It's off shit. Because we can't. We're going to die down here. Just like Arnie. And Cindy will use the term serial killer. Referring to the names on the wall, she says those were serial killers. No, no, we have to get out. We have to. Those names on the wall, they didn't stop with one murder. Seven, nine, ten, fifteen people. Those were serial killers. No, they were spree killers, first of all. (laughs) There is a difference. Killing a bunch of people does not make you 
serial killer. Serial killers have like a refractory period where they cool down and then time passes and then they'll kill somebody else to try to relive that experience again, get that sexual kick. You know, like a series. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Versus spree killers, which like school shootings and things like that are spree killings. It's where you kill a whole bunch of people in quick succession. So these are all spree killers. But either way... Serial killer was not in the popular lexicon at the time. Uh, There are a lot of uses of the phrase dating back to like the 60s and maybe even earlier, but it wasn't made popular until the 80s when the New York Times started using it to describe a bunch of killers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if you've seen Mindhunter, they are traveling around the country just literally like defining the telling term. people yeah, uh-huh. what a serial killer that these is. people even exist. And yes. Yeah. Uh-huh, that they're a different kind of killer. Yeah. And Alice will say to Cindy, you know what? I, she tried to kill him cause she knew what he was going to be. Uh-huh. And guess what? I would have done the same thing. And Cindy gets upset about that. And it's yeah. like, look, Cindy, I know you're going through some shit right, right exactly. now, <laughs> but my boyfriend was just murdered by your boyfriend. Yeah. I'll let your reaction go. It's understandable, but you are wrong. (laughs) So they'll get in this big fight and Cindy will be like, fine, fuck you. I'm going to walk. Well, she doesn't because she doesn't curse, but they always make a big deal. She'll say shit a couple of times. Yeah. And then they'll make a big deal. Tommy is the first one to do it. And it's so cute. It is really cute. (laughs) I'm not in the mood, Tommy. (laughs) Uh, But so she storms off in a huff down one of the pathways and says, don't follow me. <laughs> and then Alice will scare her. And she's like, what the fuck? I told you not to follow me. And Alice is like, I didn't. You went in a circle. Yes. And that's kind of around the time where they realize that in the legend, she cut off her hand at the Devil's Rock and marked the earth with the witch's mark or something like that. I don't know how the exact wording goes. But the witch's mark is this series of tunnels underground forming the shape of the witch's mark. That's what they realize when they look at it. They're like, oh, look, see, three here and one there. And yeah, this is this is a map. And for one brief throwaway moment, Alice says the witch made this place, right? And Cindy says, or the villagers said she did. Yeah, that's going to be really important later mm-hmm. when we get to the next movie. Oh, poor Glasses Kid. That's my next note. (laughs) Yeah, of course he's being nice to them, when on the other side, they're being terrible. Yeah, so we have in the color war, it's basically capture the flag, and there's prison, where if you get tagged, then you have to go to the other team's prison. And so the shady side prison is led by this adorable kid. Who's just trying to be nice. Do you guys want to play a board game or charades or whatever? Do you want something to drink? Yeah. And they're really, really mean to him. The Sunnyvale prisoners. Meanwhile, on the other side, in the Sunnyvale prison, the Sunnyvale guards are really, really mean to the shady side prisoners. And end up being the reason that two kids die. So this is my point. Tommy's going to come to both of these prisons. No, those kids were already gone. Remember, he gets egged. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Out. No, that's what I'm saying is Tommy doesn't show up until immediately after the Sunny Valers all get freed from that prison and Jeremy is alone. And then on the other one, when he comes to get the other prison, the guards walk away because they hear a sound and then Tommy shows up and kills. It just happens to be 
at the moment that all the Sunnyvalers leave and the shady siders are left alone in both prisons that Tommy shows up and kills everyone there. This is why I'm saying this isn't a flaw. This is part of the plot. I see that. I see that now. This Good is point. a curse against Shady Side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes, poor glasses kid Jeremy gets hacked to death. So we get to see Ziggy and Nick bond a little bit here in this next scene while Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground's uh, Sweet Jane is playing from 1970. Which is sort of a call forward to the Cowboy Junkies cover of the song that was in the 94 movie, the previous yes. movie. Mm-hmm. This is when Nick's going to unload about all the responsibility he has for continuing his family's legacy and how it's a burden that he doesn't necessarily want. But he it's... does really like the weird sunny side chick. Right. That he doesn't want to be who everyone needs him to be. And you really kind of like Nick, you especially do. here. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's breaking free of the curse that causes these two different people to be like assholes to each other, mm-hmm. especially in one direction. But it's purely because he likes her. Yes. Mm-hmm. That I mean, like when you look at the motivation, he, it's not because he's a good person. It's just because he likes her. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this is where everyone finds Jeremy dead and chopped up and they realize, holy shit, there's a killer on the loose. And they round up all the kids and cancel the color war. And bring everyone back to the mess hall. Somewhere in there is where the kids from the Sunnyvale prison are murdered. Including a girl who might be What's-Her-Face's aunt, who was mentioned in the first movie where she said, Oh, my mom's sister was at Camp Nightwing when the murders happened, and it really fucked up my family. Look, 1978, 16 years ago... Mass psycho murders a bunch of kids at Camp Camp Nightwing. Yeah, my mom's sister was there. That screwed my family up for a long time. Well, this girl is killed right here. So so we think that's her. Yeah. Okay. Potentially. Very sad. Yeah. Meanwhile, Alice is going to find like a beating heart. Yeah, like a giant beating heart in the cavern. Wouldn't you just think, I should probably smash that. That should probably be broken. Oh, what if it's full of giant spiders, Kelsey? I would assume it is a heart, and I would assume if I believed all the things they believed... It's uh, not a good one? (laughs) That it's probably Seraphir's heart, and you Uh should probably destroy it. Like, that's what I would immediately go to. Yeah. Instead, she puts her hand on it, which... Alice does, yeah. Which gets her to see some things. And she starts hallucinating, she starts seeing the murderers and all the people that they killed... And then breaks her leg. Yes. Back at camp, Ziggy is in the mess hall with everyone else, but she realizes that her sister is not there, so she's got to go find her sister. And Nick will try to stop her. (laughs) This is a great moment. Because Nick's like, no, you can't go. I'm a counselor. Me and Gary will go. And Gary's like, huh? Me and Gary will go. What? What? Yeah, he has two of those moments. And when he tells her, like, I, nothing can happen to you, I'll go, or whatever, Gary's like, dude, you know that that's a camper, right? <laughs> <laughs> and 
they comment about how this is Nick's first year as a counselor and Ziggy's last year as a camper. Yes, and everyone else kind of notices when he says that I can't let anything happen to you, and everybody's yeah. like, "What? Why do um, you care about a shady cider, especially that shady cider?" Yeah. So they're gonna go out looking for Cindy because who the fuck knows where Cindy is? Meanwhile, Sheila's friends confront Ziggy and are like, "Where the fuck is Sheila?" And she's like, "How the fuck am I supposed to?" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> shit! And so she runs out. Why her friends would let her go, like, why her friends wouldn't go with her. Yeah. They don't. They stay there, and Ziggy goes on her own. Mm-hmm. And gets in a fist fight with Sheila, which is great. Well, it's silly, because why wouldn't she assume that Sheila would want to jump her after what she did? Yeah. She just goes in there like, oh, no, are you okay? Like, of course uh-huh. she's going to beat her up. Yeah, because Sheila has no idea what's going on. Right, but we get a cut to Slow Ride. Yeah, by Fog Hat. From 1975, while... The hippie is sleeping with Will. Not exactly sleeping, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Joan... And then there's this whole comment about how shady ciders do it better, and Will's like, I admit nothing. Yeah. She's like, he knows. It's really cute. <laughs> and like, he's so against weed. Like yes. every time he smells it, he gets really mad. So she's, of course, gonna smoke a joint and while he's he gets like, in the shower. Joan, I can smell that shit from here. Put it out. And I love that earlier when Cindy was, when he thought Cindy was smoking it. And it was really Alice and Arnie, yeah. He was like, I'm going to kick you out of here. But then it's this chick that he just slept with Uh and he just tells her, just put it out. Uh Uh-huh. And she's like, you know, you guys are really missing out. Oh, it'll open up your mind. Yeah. He's like, put it out. It's great. At least he's consistent. Yes. Like maybe not consistent in his response to it, but yes, he does not like weed. He's a... He's basically a Chad, you know what I mean? Like, he's just, like, a straight-up, he's muscular and blonde and good-looking, and everyone wants to sleep with him, and he's right in all the ways that you're supposed to be right. You know, you don't smoke weed or do drugs, and he ends up becoming the mayor, but he's also a total doofus and a dickhead. You know what I mean? The Mm -hmm. way that these sorts are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, while he's in the shower and Joan is not... (laughs) Tommy shows up and kills Joan. Yes. It's very sad because you liked Joan. Yeah. Cindy and Alice are also having a conversation all about why Cindy behaves the way that she does. She wants to get rid of the curse, etc. But there's also this like running theme about her shirt. And like they're yeah. making such a big deal about the fact that she's wearing a polo shirt. And it's like if you didn't call it out. I, I would've, never would have. I would have yeah, thought uh-huh. that was a perfectly normal average shirt, but they are acting like it is this, like she spent a lot of money on it, and it's this I mean, especially fancy in the... polo shirt that only the rich kids would yeah. own, and it's well, just like polo shirts are a little bit yuppy. When I understand that. People wear that. popped collars. They're wearing polo shirts, but, but it's, it's like generally it's this an really thing. fancy thing. Right. If they hadn't called it out, we wouldn't have even noticed. But again, that might be because we didn't grow up in the seventies. So she's gonna say to Alice, "I should have just smoked and drank and stole and swore and had sex and do whatever because clearly none none of it matters. I'm gonna be fucked no matter what I do." And I like Alice's response where she explains that. 
the fun was is fake too. just as fake mm-hmm. as your polo shirt. And she takes off all of her jewelry, her bracelets and stuff like that, and shows the scars from where she cut herself. It's a very emotional moment. And meanwhile, what's happening during this whole conversation is that Cindy is resetting her compound fracture. Yes. But then they are going to find the outhouse, which up above is where Ziggy is. Ziggy has knocked Sheila out. (laughs) And Gary is there. Uh Uh-huh. And they're going to attempt to save Alice and Cindy. But that's not going to work out. No, there's this great moment. Uh, so we already talked about the the kids in the prison getting killed. So that happens in here. But Gary's going to ask Ziggy what's going on. And she's like, my sister's in the toilet. And he's like, what? <laughs> what is going on? My sister's in the toilet. What? Gary, just help me. <laughs> That's his second what moment. <laughs> so good. They're going to try to use that bucket to, I guess, pull them up with the rope and bucket. Yes, which is definitely a call to the Goonies, for sure. Sure, yeah, uh-huh. But they are unsuccessful because Tommy's Tommy going to show up. up. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he is going to cut the guy's head off for Gary's Halloween. Gary's head is going to get cut off. Also in here, Will comes running out and meets up with his little brother, Nick. And Will's just wearing a towel and he's like, I didn't do anything. Uh, she was dead when I got out of the shower. And he looks at Nick, who's now covered in blood because he found... The kids. The other kids from the prison. And he's like, oh, shit, Nick. What did you do? Nick's like, I didn't do anything. We need to save everyone. You go get the bus. We're going to get these kids out of here. Mm -hmm. So he goes to find Ziggy because that's all he really cares about. Uh Uh-huh. And he tries to get her to get on the bus. And she's just like, do you believe me about the curse or not? And he's like, no. And she's like, I thought you were different. And he goes, look, I've let a lot of people die tonight. I know I let a lot of people die tonight. And she says, it's not your fault. And they just sort of move on. (laughs) But I'm not going to let you die. Uh Uh-huh. They're getting on the bus. Hey, we have to go right now. No, no, no. My sister, she's still out there. Ziggy, I know I've let a lot of people die tonight. Nick, this isn't your fault. But not you. I'm not letting you die. While he's uh, with Ziggy, they're going to get attacked by Tommy. But after this conversation, he will retract his statement and say that he does believe her about the curse. Yes, but to no avail by the end of the movie, which yes. we'll talk about. But while, yeah, while they're together, they get attacked by Tommy. A snake's going to get loose from the place where they got all the bugs, and it's going to be scary. And then Tommy yanks up Ziggy by her hair, and Nick will protect her and he gets an axe to the leg because of it and ziggy runs away but somehow nothing happens to nick nothing happens to now nick. we could also nick doesn't seem injured later that's a good point nick never he doesn't seems nurse injured. that injury but the point is he's not going to die because he's not subject to this curse he is a sunny veiler yes mm-hmm. yes sunny veilers seem to be spared from this curse mm-hmm. so alice and Cindy, now that they're stuck down there because Tommy killed Gary and now they can't get out the way they were hoping to through the toilets, they realize the tale of Sarah Fear says that she emerged from the meeting house after cutting off her hand. The meeting house is now the mess hall. There must be an exit to this cavern at the mess hall. But Alice says, go without me. I'll only slow you down. Yeah. And so Cindy does. 
And she shows up at the mess hall and she's underneath a grate in the floor of the kitchen. Oh, and Alice also points out that she's getting a nosebleed, which yeah. blood will fall when Sarah Fear is near. I never really understood that part. Oh, no, I think it's actually Alice who gets the bloody nose. Oh, is the Alice the nose. one who's getting the bloody nose? Alice I don't remember that. Bloody nose. But yes, she says, oh, blood will fall when she is near, meaning Sarah Fear is nearby. Mm -hmm. And that's why everyone keeps getting these nosebleeds in the previous movie mm -hmm. is because they're nearby Sarah Fear. Now, we know for a fact, well, not for a fact, it could have been moved at some point between the two movies, but her body's not here. What is here is her hand. Mm -hmm. And so Alice starts digging through all the moss and finds Sarah Fear's hand. So Ziggy, still running from Tommy. Plays carry on my wayward son to lure him to the mess hall. Yes. To what end, I'm not entirely sure. Well, it's more that she needs to, she, she tries it and she's semi-successful here. It's more that... Seems more like an accident what happens. No, she intent. Well, yeah, I see what you're saying. But she <laughs> intentionally turns on the music because when they were trying to hide and not make any noise, they were found. So she turns on the music really, really loud so she can disguise where oh, she is so in the movement that she's making. Listen yes. to her. I got it. Because he's going to come after her later and she's going to be stalking him instead. Now, unfortunately, something happens and the radio just switches off. And then he turns when he hears the floor creak, and she takes that moment to stab him. But it's not good enough. He's going to start attacking her. Meanwhile, while the music's going on, and earlier Tommy did a whole, like, Jack Torrance moment where he axed open a door. Yes. And the camera was doing that same thing. That's when Cindy was kicking up on the grate to try to get out. So when Ziggy's getting attacked by Tommy, Cindy shows up and stabs Tommy. And importantly... This is when Ziggy will get a bag over his head. Like a burlap sack and place it to, over his head. Trying to strangle him, which is how he gets the bag over his head as a killer. Exactly. Uh, now we have the Nightwing killer. like Jason. Oh yeah, uh-huh. Who really looks a lot like the guy from The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Sure, yeah, totally. So they think they've killed Tommy at this point, and Cindy apologizes to Ziggy for being a shit sister. You were obviously going through some stuff and I was leaving you behind. And after our mom, who was a drunk, and our dad, who... He left. Oh, he just left. Mm -hmm. And then the mom was a drunk. You really needed me and I wasn't there for you. And I'm really, really sorry. And then Ziggy's like, yeah, I was a monster. And Cindy says, yeah, well, you were my monster. And they sort of like recommit to each other here in this moment. And that's when Alice shows up. Having found Sarah's skeleton hand. Mm -hmm. Now they just need to find the body, which they assume is under the hanging tree. She gives this big rousing speech about how she's going to go with them, all for Shadyside, for Arnie, for Tommy, and for, for everybody. And that's when she gets it. Yep. Yep, she gets killed. Not before Ziggy bleeds on Sarah's hand and she sees things. Which is why she's going to be like a target. And that is when... Cindy get... will cut his head off. Yeah. What does she do a sh with a shovel or with something shovel. like that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Totally cuts his head off. And they're like, nah, now he's dead. But we get to see the heart beating faster and harder. And it's throbbing. And from the gunk come all the killers. This is how they get resurrected. And this What'd is I where say? they get resurrected from. What I say? Uh-huh. Kill the heart. If you see a beating gigantic heart yes. in the middle of the earth. I say kill it. Totally. 
Uh, but as they leave, Tommy's like twitching hand and then he grabs Ziggy as they're trying to leave. They get free and they're able to run away. But now Tommy is headless. But he gets his head back. He gets back his on. head back. Like he, re- he regenerates it the same way they all regenerated in the last movie. True. Right? And of course, Ruby Lane is singing. Oh, yeah. You always hurt the ones reason. you love as she climbs out from that grate. But so they run and they're digging as fast as they can. But what do they find? First of all, how they knew exactly where to dig. Who the fuck knows? She was hung under the hanging tree. Right. But where under the hanging tree? You could get a backhoe out there and dig up for hours and not find anything. They just happen to dig in one spot. And that one spot is where they find a rock that says the witch forever lives and there is no body. And I love that. Okay, I get it. I get that you would hate this witch because of what she has wrought upon Uh you and your your friends. Right. Uh But so when you find this rock. The witch lives forever. Wouldn't you wonder why? Wouldn't you wonder what's that about? Yeah. Uh-huh. They, right, they can't wonder about that because they're being stalked by these killers True. who are slowly approaching from all sides. Good point. And they want they drop the hand right in the hole where they found the rock. They want Ziggy. And I'm not sure how Cindy dis- realizes that. I don't know that she does. I think she, she says just- it. She says, they're coming after you because you bled on, yeah, on the, hand. Her, the hand. Yeah, but how she figures that out, I don't know. But either way, she sends her away and is like, I'm going to protect you this time. And she goes after Tommy and pushes Ziggy away. Tommy kills her. And Ziggy doesn't get very far before she's attacked by one of the killers, one we hadn't seen up to this point, who has kind of like a burned face. I forget which one that is. Who stabs Ziggy. And they fall to the floor. All and while, while Tommy is like hacking in to Cindy's chest and the burn killer guy is licking the blood from Ziggy's wound in her in her stomach. All while the man who sold the world is playing. We passed upon the stand. We spoke of was and when. Although I wasn't there. Berman is narrating the end of this story. They do reach out to each other and say that nothing will keep them apart ever again while they're being killed. Like, but we're doing it together. (laughs) C. Berman is narrating the end of the story as Nick shows up and tries to revive Ziggy. And yes, we get the man who sold the world from 1970. And he is successful. Yeah. The captions start calling C. Berman Christine at this point, by the way, because this is where we reveal that the one who was revived after being dead was Ziggy. To which Josh in 94 says, Wait. Wait, here's Ziggy? 
Was she telling the whole story in the third person? Ziggy did this and then Cindy did that? She never said, I did this and I did that? I hope so. I hope she was telling it in the third person. That's what would have to have happened just to have this one moment where a character who is hearing the story comes to the realization that the audience is supposed to come to. In order to shove that in, the requirement would be that C. Berman would have to be telling the story in the third person. That's a good point. And know things that she couldn't have known because her sister was killed immediately after they happened. Well, I assumed that all the stuff that we got that she wouldn't have possibly known. I assume that that's just for the audience. Just for us. And Josh isn't hearing this. Right. That's, that's totally fair. Uh, but Nick tells the EMT that picks her up that her name is Christine. When he asks her for her name and she says Ziggy, he says, Christine. It's Christine. Mm-hmm. Now, old Ziggy, C. Berman, Gillian Jacobs, will say that Nick covered up the fact that there was a curse. Or at least didn't go around talking about it. Because that's not how you become sheriff. He had a destiny. Yeah. He tells the cop that shows up that will later on be his subordinate that Tommy just went crazy. And the cop says, fucking shady ciders. And then she says that she couldn't see him again after that. And they never went out together, even after he saved her. She says to them, it never ends. There's nothing you can do about it. And they say they found the body, which we know they did. But Gillian doesn't know that. We found what you were looking for in 78. We found Sarah Fear. They ask, is the hand still buried underneath the hanging tree? Buried? They just dropped it in a hole. (laughs) But it's still there. It's still there in the shady side mall. In the middle of the mall in the tree that they saved. Because it's the hanging tree, Now, I I have seen giant trees in the middle of malls before. That's not the unusual thing. It's just that the hand is still buried there. Yeah, like in all the construction. Uh-huh. And 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 it got buried in the first place. And I love that they made the they made the mall around the tree. I love that they did that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And specifically with that enough plot around it so that you could get that hand mm-hmm. still there. And it's right under the surface. Nobody ever found it. Uh-huh. It's so ridiculous. And also the hand like how is the hand still together? That doesn't I don't make any know damn sense. How skeletons stay together after decomposition uh, for that many years, for hundreds of years. I don't know what happens to the tendons. It could just be that because all the dirt got in there and everything, it kind of you know stuck together stuck perfectly. Together. Yeah, and it's they can still move it together around. And the, exactly. It's no big deal. Exactly. I don't know. It could be that that is the case that. Skeletal structures remain intact this this long after the fact if they're buried without a coffin or whatever. I don't know. But they go to dig it up and they find it. While that's happening, Ziggy, old Ziggy, calls the sheriff, who is notified via CB. This lady called said there was an emergency. She said you were in a Judy Bloom book club. Is that true? Because they made a conversation about how I don't, after all this, I don't think I can do Stephen King anymore. Let's just do Judy Bloom. Mm-hmm. And so he says he'll take care of it. Uh, that's the last we see of him. Meanwhile, Dina and Josh go to where they found the body. She leaves him in the car. She digs up the body, opens up the letterman jacket that they buried it in, apologizes or whatever, puts the hand with it. And when she does that, oh, her nose started bleeding because they got close to the body again. 
And it bleeds onto the, the... Onto the complete body mm-hmm. now. It's all put together now. When she does that, she sees Seraphir and then realizes that the reason she sees Seraphir is because she's looking into water and sees her own reflection. She has been transported to 1666 to relive Seraphir's last days. Yes. And that's what the third movie is going to be half about. And we get to be continued with Cherry Bomb again. And I think the upcoming thing is really good. It's It upholds the mystery. Oh, man, yeah. And still makes you think that it's... Like, okay, at this point, I was thinking it was a witch and it was a curse. Because, I mean, what else am uh-huh. I going to think? But at that point, I was like, what did they do? What did they do to this woman that she would put this curse on it? And I guess it just wasn't... I just didn't accept that she put this curse on them for forever just because they hung her. Yeah. Like, that was hard for me to swallow. The so problem, I knew that there was going to be something where they were terrible to her. Yeah. The problem is, is that it becomes very obvious very quickly, which I guess is good because only half of the third movie is actually going to be in 1666. Mm-hmm. The rest of it needs to be the conclusion of the 1994 storyline. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get that. But all the characters or all the major characters are played by actors who are in the first two movies. Which Chris says does not mean that they are their ancestors. No, because some of them die without ever having kids. <laughs> and to the point you made, some of them are people that Dina has never met. So it's not like she's hallucinating them either. So, like, it's just for our sake. So we're not getting all new characters for only half of a movie. Even though we got two different casts for the first two films. Yes. <laughs> I think that's fine. That might be a little bit too confusing in that, because that was only... The audience can't handle three casts. Let it go. That was only 16 years ago. We don't want to pay a third cast. This is 300 years ago. So, yeah. They they got the same cast. I think that was a good choice. They get to play some different roles than they normally would, and it's really interesting. Although, one key relationship is going to be almost identical, and you've probably already figured it out if you haven't watched the third movie yet. Anyway, I have a question. How are they going to do the music thing that they've done for two movies now in 1666? I don't think they do. They don't, no. But they go back to 94, so if I remember correctly, there is more music from 94 in that one. Uh, But here's another question I thought of. How are they going to do Fear Street again? Like, this can't be it, right? Like, they're going to do another series. If this one was successful. I think it was very successful. But are they going to do Fear Street 2, part 1? 2005 like what are they gonna do how are they gonna call it something maybe it's gonna be fear street and then a title yeah but if they're going to do three parts again they're gonna need another subtitle so now they're gonna have fear street subtitle subtitle instead of just fear street subtitle don't know we'll have to see yeah we'll have to wait around and see if they even do it again but i feel like fear street is a sort of umbrella term for a franchise because a Fear Street is never mentioned. Only the fact that the witch's name is Sarah Fear, and it's not even spelled the same way. Mm-hmm. So, like, you get the, the the idea that just like the books, it's the name of a franchise of unconnected stories. Yes. Or at least not directly connected. It's like Goosebumps. Yeah, exactly. So, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 87. Holy shit. Real close. 88. 
a smart and subversive twist on slasher horror, Fear Street Part 2, 1978, shows that summer camp has never been scarier thanks to stellar performances from Sadie Sink, Emily Rudd, and Ryan Simpkins, which are Ziggy, Cindy, and Alice. I mean, there are other really good performances in that. I feel like they just named the first three names that were on IMDb. If you go to IMDb and you look at this movie, those just happen to be the three names that come up. I thought all the performances in the 70s were solid. Yeah. I thought they were all really very, very believable. Yeah. yeah. Alice's refusal to open her mouth was frustrating. Okay. But other than that, I thought the yeah. acting was good. Rotten Tomatoes score just went up. Previously, it was 82. This one's 88. A Metacritic of 61, remarkably the lowest of all three of them. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Now, the original had an 82. You gave it a 75. I gave it a 78. This one has an 88. What will you give it? I'm going to give it an 83. I liked it a lot, but it has problems. And the second viewing showed them much more obviously to me. Sure it does, yeah. Because think... the, the wonder of it all has burned off. Yeah. So now I'm seeing the flaws and the cracks. I'll give it an 82. I think low 80s is perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one was high to mid 70s. This one is better than the first one. It is better. It is the best of all three. So when we get to 1666, which still watchable. It's not as good as the prior three. Like, it's the worst one, I think. Again, I think that they've done a little bit of lying to their audience, but not a lot. I think that they did a pretty good job of tiptoeing around mm -hmm. the, the big, shocking Right. I feel like we've secret. given more outward hints. Because I had no idea. Than the movie did. Like I said, guys, I was fully on board with the idea that this was a witch, uh -huh. but I was also fully on board with like, the Like, there fact has to be some sort of twist the, to the it, The town right? was terrible right, to Right, right, but the witch is still responsible for the curse. Yes, right, yes. 100%. Totally. Totally shocked in the third one. Now, I think this franchise might suffer from a little bit of Return of the King syndrome, which is where Return of the King is absolutely not the best Lord of the Rings movie, <laughs> but it's the one that got the Oscar. Because it was the last one they were going to Because it was make. the last one they were going to make. And if they were going to give an Oscar to the franchise, they're going to give it to that one. The scores in Rotten Tomatoes keep going up. 1666 is the highest reviewed of the three of them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which is weird. But I, I wonder if it suffers from that same syndrome. Where they're giving their review of the whole franchise to 1666. It is not a 90 whatever, because this is 88, right? So I agree. Yeah, it, I agree. It, it's not higher than 88. No. Certainly not. And that is the end of our 200th episode, Kelsey. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Thanks. What are we watching next week? So it's September, guys. We're in school mode now. So I thought, let's do some school-based movies, shall we? Let's do... Return to Horror High and School Spirit. Yeah, School Spirit is part of the Into the Dark series, which we've covered on this show before. Twice or just the once? We did the New Year's one. Yes. New did we Year, do New another Year. one? We watched one of the Valentine's Day ones, but we did not put it on our show. Uh-huh. Because it was no good. All right. So we have 
Return to Horror High, which I guess is not a sequel to Horror High. I don't think so. All right. And School Spirit from Into the Dark, that series on, I want to say, Hulu. So please watch our back to school episode, even though we've been back for a couple of weeks now. Now we're officially back. Yes. Look forward to that next week. Until then, you can find us at our website, podcemetery.com, and on Twitter, like we said earlier, at podcemetery. Subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Rating and reviewing is a huge, huge help. Five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. Even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Despite our differences, we're all perfect. Magician does his magic, thrills you with a slick trick you never know. Just how he makes it happen, find yourself just clapping and feeling good. Should the magic get you high, no need to wonder why. Come with me together, let's count all the stars in the sky. Don't need words to know how I feel about you. Don't need words. Don't need words. I always find context to be important when we're talking about the early 80s slashers. Because it can be difficult to remember since we're not going chronologically, like what came before what and what influenced what. So just really, really brief primer on what came out immediately before and after this. So we have 74 is Black Christmas, 78 is Halloween, uh, and then in 1980, in this order, we have Friday the 13th, Prom Night, Terror Train, Motel Hell, Mm -hmm. and New Year's Evil right at the end of the year. And then in 81, when this movie was kind of sort of released, and I'll get to that. Okay. There's My Bloody Valentine, Friday the 13th Part 2, Graduation Day, Happy Birthday to Me, and then on October 30th, just in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Madman was released. Why only in Albuquerque? They do that sometimes. They do limited releases. Okay. But this one... Waited a very long time before it had a wide release, and I'm not sure why. There's not a lot of info out about it. And I'll, I'll get to the point where it does come out in wide release. The same day was Halloween 2, and then at some point in the year, unknown date, <laughs> Home Sweet Home came out. <sighs> which is only important because they replicate one of the Home Sweet Home kills in this. Yes. Or maybe the other way around? Mm-hmm. No idea. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there was only two months left in the year. Before this came out in only Albuquerque, New Mexico. (laughs) 82 saw Friday the 13th Part 3, Halloween 3, Slumber Party Massacre, 
And at the end of the year in Canada, Ghost Keeper. It was a Canadian movie, you remember? <laughs> Didn't come out in the U.S. until it came out on video in 1986. So four years later. We're all the way in 1983 now. House on Sorority Row. Technically released limited in November the year prior, but a wide release in January of 83. <sighs> Madman saw its wide release in February. On the 18th of 1983. February, 1983. February, what a time. A year and a half later, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Psycho 2 came out after that, then Sweet 16 and Sleepaway Camp (laughs) all later that same year. And then the following year is 84, which is important for a couple movies. Just Nightmare on Elm Street came out. Oh. Uh, Children of the Corn and Silent Night, Deadly Night came out in 84. (laughs) So just to give you a little bit of context of where this lies, somewhere around, yeah, right? Somewhere around Halloween 2 is when it was first released in New Mexico, and then it saw its wide release around the time of House on Sorority Row, uh, a year and a half later, so. Oh, he sure did. It's all right. I won't be killed tonight. I'm an alligator. I'm a mama papa coming for you. What the fuck does that mean? I'm the space invader. What does he say? I'm a... I'll be a rock and rolling bitch for you? Something like that. Cherry. Too long a pause. Your face. Your face. What the man is on the world. I'm doing the Nirvana I know, version. and I'm doing the Bowie version. <laughs> Cherry bomb. See, that's too many chichichas. <laughs> You're going to have a hard time matching me up. There are six chas, <laughs> and then an overly long pause, and then Cherry Bomb. I think one time in the song she does seven, and that's the one that feels natural. Yeah. Cherry Bomb. Nope, it's Cherry Bomb. There's too long a gap. <laughs> Along comes Mary, Mary, Mary. Not in the movie. 